Our scripture reading today comes from Luke um, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. The word of God. Today, our second reading today is from uh, the Gospel of Luke, also the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 57 to 66. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, 
and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. The word of God. But growing up, uh, I grew up going to church. I don't know about uh, many of you. I know we all come from different backgrounds, but I grew up going to a church. And at least in my church, I don't know how it was for you, it seemed like there was this huge gap between the Old Testament world and the New Testament. At least that's how it felt like it was taught. Like, like there was uh, this huge chasm in between. It was like the size of the Grand Canyon. So you had the Old Testament and there was certain things going on there. And then you have the New Testament, of course, Jesus comes, and you have the letters uh, and all this stuff, but there was this huge gap in between. And while there is this, this gap in time, there's actually a 400-year uh, gap uh, between the writing of, or the finishing of the Old Testament and the starting of the New Testament, um, that's not exactly how the Bible is written. There's many things uh, in the New and in the Old that kind of lean back and forth into the other ones. It's not as clear as saying, oh, this is, this is the Old Testament, that's kind of uh, the old stuff, and, and then we're, we're people of only the New Testament. But that's probably a, an incorrect way to look at it, and there's, uh, of course, many great things uh, in the Old Testament. There's the books of Moses, there's, there's prophecies, there's psalms, and poetry, and history, and, and and then New Testament, of course, we get the Gospels, we get letters to the early church, we get the book of Revelation. So in this sermon series that, that we're about to start, we're actually going to look at one of these characters that seems like he's a bridge between the two. It, he's in the New Testament, he's firmly planted there, he's, he's in the New Testament, but it, but it seems like how he behaves, how he acts, how he dresses, the things he says, he's, he's such an Old Testament prophet. It, everything about him feels like he's one of these prophets in the Old Testament, but he's right here and he's right in the Gospels. And if you've been paying attention to the screen, do you know who I'm talking about? Who am I talking about? John the Baptist. Very good. You all looked at the screen when you came in. Uh, John the Baptist. So we're about to start a sermon series on John the Baptist. I think he's kind of one of these unsung heroes in the New Testament. There's so much about him. He's in every gospel. Uh, every gospel writer found it necessary to include John the Baptist and say about who he was and, and what his message was. Um, but yet we don't talk about him a lot in churches, and there's good reason for that, because part of what his job was was to prepare the way and then step out of Jesus's way and, and let Jesus's message come forward. Right? So it makes sense as people that follow Jesus that John the Baptist is not the first on our list. Uh, but as I was looking at sermons for this year, kind of, kind of preparing what do I want the series to look like, how, what it makes sense, uh, I kept coming back to John the Baptist, and I think there's, uh, there's a lot for us to learn uh, here. So again, he's called simply to prepare the way for the Lord, uh, and then he's called to step aside and to point other people to Jesus. And that alone, I think, should make John the Baptist at least the hero of every pastor, if not every Christian that ever lived. What is our role 
Who are we? What are we supposed to be? We, we simply point other people to Jesus. We, we, don't, we don't need to add our special sauce, add our special flavor. I've, I've heard this, this pastor preach, and I love the sermon where he talks about uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000 and how he takes the bread and he gives it to the disciples, and the t- disciples' whole role is to take that bread, turn around, and give it to the people. They don't, like, turn around and add their own, you know, oh, this, this is my special flavoring that I really like on bread. And here's a little extra special olive oil that I've been saving. Let me make this bread better and, and then give it to the people. No, they simply receive the bread from Jesus and they give it out to the people. And it's a little bit like what John the Baptist is like. He, he prepares the way for Jesus, then he steps aside and he points people to who is the Lamb of God. So as he, as he raises to prominence, um, he also steps aside and, and lets Jesus uh, carry the mission forward. As Jesus is elevated, John fades into the background. So we're going to spend the next five weeks looking at John the Baptist. Today we're going to look at his birth and kind of the stories around uh, his birth, and then we'll look at each uh, kind of major story that we find in the Gospels. Before we get into it, before I get right into Luke chapter 1, I do want to note uh, to you all, in case um, you all don't know, many of you don't know, I had surgery on Thursday. So This is the part where you all pay attention, right? You're all like, now I'm interested. So I had surgery on Thursday for a hernia, right, right in the center there. Uh, so if I'm not as bright and chipper as I normally am up here, I don't know, just pray instead of judge, I don't know, I don't know what to say, but uh, I did want to just let you all know, uh, I'm doing well, obviously I'm up here preaching, uh, but yeah, I just figured I'd let you know, I'm less than a week out of surgery, so if I start doing this, if I give Susan the signal, she'll come up and like give me the stool, so uh, side, that's a side note for you, uh, but I think I'll be fine. So we are here in the Gospel of Luke, uh, this rather lengthy account. Thank you for reading <laughs> the rather lengthy account, uh, but it is, I think, necessary to look at it all. Uh, this account of the, all, the, all what's going on around the birth of John the Baptist, and there's a lot there. Uh, so why don't we start in verse 5 here, and I'll just kind of walk through uh, what's going on. Again, Luke chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 5, I'll read verses 5 and 6 to start with. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in God's sight, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So we kind of meet our two main characters, if you will. Um, just kind of a note on, on how I'm doing this sermon series. So uh, the, the genre or the type of text that we're reading in the Bible matters a great deal for how we interpret it. So this text is under this broader category called biblical narrative. Uh, and we love narrative in our own culture. It's storytelling, right? But what we often do is we look at the Bible and we want it to tell stories like we would tell stories. And they don't. They're often very brief. So, for example, uh, we're not going to turn back to it, but if you look at Cain and Abel, 
It's like two paragraphs long. The whole story of Cain and Abel. You know the story, right? Cain. So Cain gets, gets jealous of his brother and he kills his brother. That's like the whole story. I just told the whole thing. It's so short. And as modern readers, we're like, we want some details here. You know, if you wrote this in a modern book, they'd walk into a coffee shop. It would describe every character, what they were wearing, what they were drinking, and none of them would matter for the plot. You know, and then the next thing would happen. It's just how we tell stories in our culture. So we're going to have to do a little uh, cross-cultural work to be able to look into this biblical narrative and say, how does this apply to us? What's going on here? And how, how am I not just bringing my own assumptions in? So if there's times where you're like, I want more details, yeah, that's because you're a good modern reader, uh, and that's great. But um, this, this is communicating quite a bit right in it. So just that's a kind of a, a side note as we start. So when is this taking place? This is how the Bible tells uh, of time. So it's taking place, it says, in the reign of Herod the Great. So Herod the Great reigned uh, from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. Remember, when you're, when you're in B.C., it kind of goes backwards. So 37 B.C. to 4 B.C., uh, Herod the Great, he's the leader when Jesus was born. You know, that's probably his, his biggest claim to fame. He's different than Herod Agrippa. Uh, that's actually his, uh, I think it's his nephew, or it's his grandson, Herod Agrippa. That's the one when Jesus is crucified. There's a different Herod. Uh, hopefully that's not rattling you all too much, if it is. Uh, you can Google it later. But it's a different Herod. So there's Herod the Great. Uh, his grandson's Herod Agrippa. They both rule the same area, a different time uh, span. Um, why do they call him great? Well, in the ancient world, as a ruler, there's a few ways that you can get the title of great. It's an official title. It's like bestowed on you by the leaders. Uh, so he He's kind of a king, but really the Roman Empire is over it all. He's kind of a puppet king that's been put there. Um, And he's been given this title of great because he builds great things. That's one of the ways to do it. You're you're a great builder. Uh, And he's not building it himself, right? So he raises very heavy taxes on the people, and he uses these taxes for these huge infrastructure uh, programs. He's built... Uh, fortresses. He, he renovated the entire temple uh, in Jerusalem. He built the fortress of Masada. He, he built uh, a seaport out on the ocean. He's, he's built many things. And, and through that time, uh, for you history buffs, it was actually Mark Antony uh, who gave him uh, both his position and who gave him his title as great. So, so Roman uh, leader gave him the title of great. And we know uh, from history, that he ruled from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. So that's where we are, and we're told that during this time, there is a priest named Zechariah who's married to a woman named Elizabeth. And here's the most important piece of information. We're told that they're both righteous. They're both living in a right way with God. They're, they're not, uh, there's nothing in their own lives that's going to cause something bad to happen to them. That's kind of the ancient worldview. If you're if you're doing bad things, then when, when bad stuff happens, they kind of think, well, you kind of deserved it. It was kind of, uh, kind of what's going on. But, but we're told right away, no, this couple, these are good people. And they're not just good people like they're nice to their neighbors. They're good people like they follow God's law. They do it the right way. They're, they're really great, uh, really great folks. You'd love to have them uh, as your neighbor. You'd love to have them as your friend. But they're going through something difficult. In verse 7, we're told that they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. 
and they were both very old. So here's our plot tension. There's these two righteous people, but they can't have a baby. And they seem to be doing everything right, but God just hasn't blessed them in this way. Verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. A little bit about how the priesthood worked back then. I've been looking this up uh, earlier this week, before Thursday, (laughs) before I had my surgery. Uh, I've been looking all this up, and at about this time, they think there was about 18,000 priests. 18,000. All right, and how it worked was you were given a two-week period of time to serve each year. So this is Zachariah's time. He's in his two-week period, and in that time, uh, they light... Uh, the incense in the temple twice a day. So they light it in the morning, and they light it again at twilight. And, and they're selected out of this group, out of all of these people, you're selected uh, with, with great honor to be able to enter into the temple first and light the incense, or to light it again uh, at twilight. It's such a great honor that you actually can only do it once in your lifetime. So this is Zachariah's time. This is probably the moment, we're told he's old. This is a moment he has been dreaming of his entire life, this special moment where he gets to enter the temple. He gets to be with God in in just this truly special way. He's been prepared for this since he was a young man. If you want to read more about what is going on here, it's actually uh, detailed quite thoroughly in Exodus chapter 29. Uh, verses 38 through 42. I'm not going to read through it now, but this is, this is where uh, it tells them to do what they're doing right now. So way back in Exodus, they're, they're given this command, uh, and they're doing it here. And it's Zechariah's time. And at the end of that passage in Exodus, it says this phrase, the Lord God Almighty will meet you there. So when you do this, when you go into the temple, when you light this incense, The Lord God Almighty will meet you in that moment. So let's see what God does. Verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah saw him. He was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. And he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drinks, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. 
And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. This is amazing. This is absolutely incredible. So he's gone into the temple. He has this great honor. And it says in the end of Exodus that, that God will meet you. And, and he's doing it. He's alone in there. And then all of a sudden to the right of the altar, there's an angel. And it's, and it's an angel sent to him. And, it, and the angel says, your prayers have been heard. So we know that Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying for this child. And not only are they going to get a child, that, that would be great, but they're going to get a prophet. They're going to get a great child. He's going to be amazing. He's going to be, he's going to be like Elijah, one of the best prophets of the Old Testament, one of the top ones, especially in their minds. I mean, Elijah's way up there. And they're going to say, he's going to be in the power of Elijah. This amazing Old Testament prophet just, just brought right into their midst. Oh, it's so exciting for them. And, and of course, he's afraid. Why would you not be afraid? An angel appears. This is not like... Uh, I don't know, a little baby with wings that's going to like shoot you with a little heart arrow, right? That, that is not what's going on here. That's, that's Roman. <laughs> this, these angels are mighty warriors and they stand before God and, and, and they stand directly in God's presence and then, and then if they appear to you, how powerful, how mighty. And we are told that he's going to be a great prophet. And he will bring back many of God's people to God. And he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. You know all these things. We talk about them when it comes to, uh, to Christmas time, right? We talk about uh, John and his message and, and how much he's preparing the way. And, and how does Zechariah respond to such news? Such beautiful, beautiful news. Remember this righteous man. How does he respond? Verse 18. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. So Zechariah speaks up, but he speaks up and, and, he, and he says his doubts. He doubts what the angel is saying. At this point, those of us reading, we should, be, we should be crying out. We should be, no, Zechariah, don't do it. You're a righteous man. We, are, we already know how good you are. You're, you, you follow God's laws. Don't doubt. Don't doubt at this time. Don't talk like this. And that's pretty much what the angel says. Verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I actually kind of love this. So here's this powerful angel. And, and Zechariah speaks up and, and the angel basically says, like, no more of that. You're going you're gonna to speak up and you're going to doubt what's going on. You're going to doubt that this is going to happen. You're going to doubt that this is truly a message from God. Well, then you're not going to speak up again until it's done. 
That's what he says, right? He says, you're, you're going to be silent until it's done. You, you've already spoken up. You've already said too much, Zechariah. Now it's time for you to be quiet. It's going to be a while. Now it's time for you to be quiet, and you're going to speak. And next time you speak, you're going to praise God. You're not going to speak like, like that, Zechariah. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were, amaz- or, or the people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering why he was staying so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple where he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So Zechariah responds with words of doubt. But here Elizabeth responds with words of praise. Right right away, she praises God. She recognizes that God has done this and instantly uh, sees that God has done this great work in her life. And of course, this story continues, and it continues into our second reading uh, from today. But I kind of want to just camp out here for a while. I want to sit here with these characters. So what what happens later is, is John is born, right? And Zachariah's speech returns and and everything kind of happens as the angel said it would. And the first thing Zechariah does, his voice is back, and he praises God. And it is true. It's kind of true what the angel said. You're going to be quiet for a while. <laughs> and then by the time his voice is back, he's, the first thing he's doing is he's praising God for who God is and what God has done. So let's do a little bit here, not, not too long, of bridging their context with ours, right? Like I said in the beginning, this is this is biblical narrative. It tells it a little different than we would. So how do we, uh, as modern readers, how do we take this text and how do we apply any of it to our own lives? Right? Hopefully you've come to church with some kind of desire of that. I want to hear what God has for me. I, I, I like to learn about what's going on, but, but I want to know what is this, how does this impact me, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? So there's a few things here. It's important that we don't just read this and, and simply just apply it to our own lives. Say, oh, well, um, it just applies simply. There's, there's 2,000 years in between, but that doesn't matter, and it just applies. That's, uh, that's not being fair to what's going on here. It's not being good readers of this text. And I think the way to look at this uh, really is on three levels. So the first one, is that we can study the character of God. So what does this tell us about who God is? What does this tell us about, about what God is like? How does God interact with his people? We see that God is faithful. That God will do what he says he will do. We see also about ourselves. We see that our role is to trust what God says. That our role is not to be the person who, who uh, speaks back and speaks words of doubt. And of course, God forgives us when we do. He didn't just strike down Zechariah, did he? There wasn't a lightning bolt that came through the temple and boom, you're just gone. There's no, 
There's no grace. There's no forgiveness. That's also not who God is. But what is our role? Our role is to trust. Our role is to lean on God to see what his promises are. And what has he promised for us in our own lives? John 3, 16 through 17, one of the most popular verses of, of modern Christians. We put it on our bumper stickers. We put it on our walls in our kitchens, uh, everywhere else. And we can trust it. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is who God is, and we can trust in that. We can lean on that. Number two, our next, our next study tool, as we're looking at biblical narrative here, our next study tool is that we can study the characters in the narrative themselves, the people that are there, and see what we can learn from them. All right, so it's important not to just make them kind of uh, characters that just simply exist like it's, like it's fiction. These are real people, right? But they're real people that are interacting in real ways, so we can look at them, see how they interact, and we can learn from them. That's kind of what we've been doing with Zechariah, really. Uh, we've learned that he's righteous. We've learned that, that he's uh, in good standing before God, but we also learned that he doubts. And then, and then the other position, we see Elizabeth in the same situation. Suddenly becomes pregnant and she praises, right? So we can look at these characters and we can see two different kinds of people. The third one, and I'll just do this one real briefly, is that we can pay special attention to the attitudes within the people that draw them closer to God or draw them further away from God. It's real important in biblical narrative because you can start looking at the wrong people as your models. All you need to do is read the books of Genesis, you know, the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. Start reading about uh, these, these first people of the faith, these forefathers, and if you think that they're all great and that everything they're doing is wonderful, they're going to be really challenging books to read <laughs> because they do some pretty awful things and they have some pretty awful attitudes. And, and, and I think a better reading is to say, I am so happy that God is willing to use these broken people because it means that maybe I have a chance that God will use me, right? That's a better reading of the narrative than to say, oh, they're, they're right because that's where they are and, and, and maybe I just need to try to understand the culture more. How, how can I understand how they're right? Well, no, they do some bad things. Just a real simple example. So uh, when you're in the book of Judges, you get to Gideon. Uh, Gideon is, is a judge of the people. That simply means he's like a tribal leader. He's not like wearing a robe and have, has a, what do you call that thing? Gavel? Is that right? He doesn't have that thing. Bang, bang. Um, he, he's like a, a tribal leader, and he doubts God the entire time. If you just read it, mean, it's not very long. If you just read it, he, he, just, he doubts everything about God. And then by the time you get to the point where he's right about to go to battle, he does this whole testing of God thing that some churches have just adopted as, as, a, as a way of, oh, I want to see if if God is truly for this, and he, he lays out the fleece. I don't know if you remember that. He lays out the fleece, and is it wet? Is it not wet? There's this whole long story. 
If you don't realize that his character is someone who doubts God the entire time, don't act like Gideon <laughs> when it comes to your relationship with God. I mean, that's the point when we get there. So, so there's whole church traditions that have built these, these structures that have said, oh, this is how we discern God's will. I don't know. That's not, that doesn't seem what the book of Judges is saying. It seems like Gideon's a flawed character, right? So, so we need to be aware of that when we go into biblical narrative. Who are we supposed to be like? Who are we not supposed to be like? Who is, who's in the story? Who's being drawn closer to God? Who's being, who's being pulled further away from God? So in this story, I think it's pretty simple. There's two kinds of people. There's two kinds of righteous people here. Neither, neither one's like the, there's not like the angel and the demon, you know, kind of thing. They're both good people. They're both righteous people. The first type is like Zechariah, and he doubts the angel's message. Even when God tells him his plan, he doubts that God will follow through. He doubts that God will do what God says he will do. And the response he gets, again, one that I just love, is the angel says, well, then you're just going to be quiet until it happens. So, so he listens to God, and, and he doubts what God will do. He hears from God clearly, and then God proves his power. That's the first type. Here's a hint. That's probably not the one you want to be like. The second type is Elizabeth, this righteous saint who, who has this burden from God and and feels rejected by her people. We can sympathize with her in her childlessness. And, and yet she prays to God. And, and when God responds to her, her response isn't one of doubt. Her response is one of praise. It's that God is wonderful, that God is mighty. She hasn't become bitter. She hasn't become uh, the victim, so to speak, in her lack of, lack of having children. She actually seems to kind of have accepted this fate, but not turned bitter towards God in the middle of it. And then she sees God do something amazing, and she praises God. I don't know what you're going through in your own lives right now. I mean, I know some of your stories. I don't know all of your stories, but... Even, even amongst uh, the righteous, so to speak, there's, there's multiple ways we approach God during our hard times, right? There's multiple ways uh, we get there. And in this story, it seems like Elizabeth, Elizabeth is the one we lean towards. Zechariah doubts even when God says what God will do. Again, that doesn't make him evil. It makes him actually like us, <laughs> for the most part. I mean, I grew up, like I said in the beginning, I grew up going to church. I, wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a Christian until I was 16. How many times do you think I heard the good news about Jesus Christ before I turned 16? And how many times do you think I doubted it? I don't know how many times I heard it, but I know I doubted it 100% of the time. Right? Is that, does that mean I was an evil person? Does that mean that I was terrible? Does that mean that 
You know, how could I doubt? I mean, Zachariah's only told once. You know, he's silent. Maybe if God made me silent till I was 16. Uh, that, might, that might have flipped a switch. But, but, I mean, we all do this, right? We hear the good news. We hear who Jesus is. We hear what he has for our lives, and then we doubt. We doubt inside. We doubt what's going on. I just love this, this story here, this, this narrative as we go through, because God meets Zechariah, and he meets Elizabeth right in the middle of their pain, right in the middle of who they are, right in the middle of what is going on in their lives, right in the middle of their longing, in the middle of their hoping, and he brings them this word of good news. You know, I have to tell you this morning, I I don't know who this is for. I don't know if it's for one person here. I don't know if it's for a handful of you. Uh, But I feel like I just have to say, God knows what you're going through. This battle that you've been fighting, this, this struggle, God knows. You're not alone in it. He hears you. God knows what's heavy on your heart. He knows the pain of your past. It's no surprise to him. There's no secrets between you and him. He knows. He knows. And here's the most beautiful part. He loves you anyways. He knows all of it. None of it is a surprise. Even the stuff that you haven't told your spouse or the people closest to you. He knows it and he loves you. Because that's who he is. Because that's how he views you. He cares for you. You're precious to him. He loves you so much. Would you open up to him this morning? Would you be willing to hear from him? He knows you better than you could ever know yourself. And he loves you more than you ever could imagine. That's the God we read about here. That's who he is. That's his message for you today. And again, I don't know if this is one person here that needs this or if, or if it's all of you. <laughs> I, I really don't know. But, but he knows you. He knows it. He knows what's going on. And he wants to love you through it. Would you just open up to him?